X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Monday, April 26th. The Local is brought to you by X-Ray FM. X-Ray keeps us together while we are apart. Building community is what we do. And through this last phase of social distancing, we're helping folks find the voices of their hometown no matter where they are. X-Ray thrives on the voices of our city, where corporate media brings you the few things they find profitable. On X-Ray, there's always something and someone new to discover. Whether it's a new genre of music, an experience you've never known, or an issue that isn't getting enough attention, we bring you the people of Portland as they are. We rely on your support to keep bringing you the content you love. No one has to give to community radio, but the cool thing is that people do. People like you. Please chip into the station that's made up of folks just like you and join the community at X-Ray at xray.fm slash donate. Or give us a call at 503-233-X-RAY. That's 503-233-9729. Or you can find us at xray.fm and click that blue donate button. Thank you for your support. X-RAY. Today, back in the day, on April 26th, 1869, classes began at Portland's first official public high school. In 1851, Portland established its first public high school, but there was little interest in it at the time. In Oregon, in the 1850s, a secondary education was only available through private schools. And many Oregonians were opposed to public high school because they didn't believe taxpayers should be responsible for supporting education past primary school. Despite the opposition, on April 14th, 1869, exactly two weeks before classes began, a board of directors established Portland Public High School. Their decision was partially motivated by the fact that Oregon had gained statehood in 1858, and they wanted to follow the example of other states, most of which already had public schools. They appointed Professor J.W. Johnson as principal, who would later go on to serve as the first president of the University of Oregon. The school was only the second public high school west of the Mississippi River. It boasted an initial enrollment of 45 students and was located at Southwest 6th and Morrison, where Pioneer Courthouse Square is today. Portland High School moved locations several times as enrollment grew. In 1909, it was named Lincoln High School, and in 1947 was relocated to where the school is now. Numerous famous Oregonians have attended Lincoln High School, including Matt Groening, Elliot Smith, and Mayor Ted Wheeler. Today, back in the day, on April 26, 1968, activist Kiyoshi Kuromaya led a demonstration against the use of napalm in the Vietnam War. Kuromaya was then a student at the University of Pennsylvania. He announced that he and other anti-war demonstrators would burn a dog alive with napalm outside of the university library. The announcement shocked the student body. Thousands of people came to the library on April 26th to protest the burning of the dog. But when they arrived, they discovered there was no dog. Instead, Kuromayu 
and the other demonstrators handed out pamphlets which read, quote, congratulations on your anti-napalm protest. You saved the life of a dog. Now, how about saving the lives of tens of thousands of people in Vietnam? Kuromayu dedicated his life to civil rights and anti-war activism. Born in a Japanese internment camp in Wyoming, Kuromayu went on to become an aide to Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and a founder of America's Gay Liberation Front. He was also the creator of the Critical Paths Project, which applied the strategies of his mentor, Berkminster Fuller, to the fight against AIDS. Today, back in the day on April 26, 1986, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant suffered an unprecedented disaster. The accident is considered to be the worst nuclear disaster in world history. In April of 1986, plant operators had been instructed by the Soviet government to perform a specific safety test. At that time, the Chernobyl plant was responsible for 10% of Ukraine's electricity. And the government was worried about what would happen in the event of a massive power failure. Three times before, plant operators had tried to find a solution, but each time they had come up empty-handed. Finally, someone suggested they rely on the steam turbines in each reactor, which would theoretically continue to produce electricity for a certain amount of time, even after the reactor stopped working. To see if their hypothesis was correct, operators planned to lower the power of the reactors gradually. But on the day of the test, they were delayed by the sudden and unpredictable closure of a local coal plant. They decided to derail the shutdown of the reactors by a few hours to keep nearby houses lit. So to get back on schedule, they dropped the power of the reactors much quicker than they'd originally planned. That, in conjunction with a malfunction related to the control rods, caused a steam explosion which blew off the roof of one of the reactors. A graphite fire was ignited, which spewed toxic radioactive substances into the atmosphere, 70% of which landed on the nearby Belarus. It took thousands of first responders and firemen over a week to contain the fire. And in the wake of the explosion, 237 people developed acute radiation sickness. Experts now believe roughly 4,000 people have died from various cancers related to the disaster. The area has since been labeled a zone of alienation. It is primarily overrun by wildlife, although as of 2016, 187 locals have returned to the area. On today's episode, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Aaron Brown from No More Freeways PDX with an update on the I-5 expansion. X-ray. First up, it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. The family of Robert Delgado, who was shot and killed by a Portland police officer on April 16th, are calling for an independent investigation. Delgado was shot at Lentz Park in southeast Portland by Officer Zachary DeLong. And this past Friday, Delgado's family called on the governor and the state attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor to conduct an independent investigation into the shooting. The family's attorney, J. Ashley Albies, acknowledged that information is still coming to light, but called footage of the encounter, quote, deeply disturbing and alarming. 
Police originally responded to a 911 caller who reported a man in the park doing quick draws with a gun, but not pointing it at anyone. After police arrived on the scene, Officer DeLong radioed that Delgado was not following police commands. Moments later, DeLong shot Delgado from behind a tree nearly 90 feet away. According to police reports, a replica handgun with an orange tip and a magazine to Delgado's gun were found on the scene. However, they did not specify where exactly the toy gun was found. Delgado's family noted that he suffered from anxiety and depression, and in calling for an independent investigation, their attorney pointed to a 2020 Oregonian review of 20 police shootings since 2003, which found that half of those killed suffered from mental illness. A spokesman for Multnomah County District Attorney Mike Schmidt said that Schmidt would be open to discussion about appointing a special prosecutor. However, he has yet to hear from either Governor Kate Brown or Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum on the matter. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 1,610 new coronavirus cases over the weekend. That brings the total number of cases in the state to 180,700. There were nine new deaths. The death toll is now up to 2,485. Over the weekend, the OHA announced that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine can be administered once again in Oregon, so long as patients are made aware of the potential risks and benefits in their primary language Healthcare providers have the okay to begin using the vaccine again. This comes after a safety review of the vaccine. But the Centers for Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration found that the risk of blood clots is extremely small. As of Friday, the pause on delivering the vaccine has officially been lifted. And our neighbors to the north followed suit as Washington Governor Jay Inslee said Saturday that inoculations with this vaccine can resume. There are currently 100,000 doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine being stored in Oregon. Cameron's Books closed this weekend after 83 years in business. The business was the oldest bookstore in the city, but after struggling since the beginning of the pandemic, Its doors closed for good on Saturday. Located at 336 Southwest 3rd Avenue and distinguished by its iconic faded sign, Cameron's Books, had long been a source for both mainstream books and valuable vintage periodicals. The latest owner, Crystal Zangsheim, had worked there since she was 17. In that time, Cameron's Books never adopted a written or computerized system. According to Zingsheim, she's probably the only one who knew where everything was. Though behind on rent, the business offered to make it up by October, but the landlord refused. For quite some time, Cameron's Books was paying rent at 1960s rates as part of a sweetheart deal. Rates rose just before COVID-19, but now the landlord wants the bookstore out ASAP. Zingsheim has hopes that Cameron's Books might be able to set up shop once again, but for now, the future of the business remains uncertain. In the meantime, the shop will have to move their entire collection to a 52-foot storage container while the fate of this Portland institution is reevaluated. 
the Biden administration has tapped Oregon State University professor Rick Spinrad to head the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. Spinrad is an ocean scientist and former administrator at OSU. And if confirmed, he will oversee several marine and climate research offices, as well as the National Weather Service and the National Marine Fisheries Service. NOAA has been without an administrator since President Obama left office in 2017. Two nominees were proposed under the Trump administration, but neither garnered sufficient support in the Senate. As part of President Biden's commitment to addressing climate change, he has proposed the largest budget in NOAA history. If confirmed, Spinrad would be the third NOAA administrator to be affiliated with OSU and would have a large say in where and how this potentially record-setting budget is allocated. Spinrad previously served as NOAA's top scientist under the Obama administration, as well as the U.S. representative to the United Nations Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission. A spokesman for the Environmental Defense Fund commended Spinrad's nomination, saying that NOAA's workers, quote, couldn't ask for a better leader to restore scientific integrity and honor to the agency's mission. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler is calling on Reed College to expel a student if he's found guilty of causing damage downtown. The 22-year-old student is charged with seven felonies, four for rioting and three for first-degree criminal mischief. The accused damage includes smashing windows at the Oregon Historical Society, Nordstrom, and Big Pink on the evening of April 16th. Marchers were gathered downtown in the wake of a fatal shooting by Portland police of Robert Delgado that morning. In a press conference on Friday, Wheeler implored local institutions to show they stand against criminal destruction and violence, saying, quote, those who are enraged in it, let's make it hurt them a little bit. In a press conference on Friday, Wheeler implored local institutions to show they stand against criminal destruction and violence, saying, quote, those who are engaged in it, let's make it hurt them a little bit. Reed College Director of Communications Kevin Myers said that the student's court case must be resolved before they can make a disciplinary process. However, Reed College Director of Communications Kevin Myers said that the student's court case must be resolved before they can begin a disciplinary process. However, he went on to state that Reed condemns vandalism in Portland. In the same press conference where Wheeler called for the student's expulsion, he and Deputy Police Chief Chris Davis also asked Portland residents to report black block activity to police. Black block is the tactic of wearing black clothing and face-concealing items to remain anonymous while protesting. The mayor identified those participating in recent marches downtown as, quote, self-described anarchists and said he would use every legal avenue to stop arson and vandalism. And finally, some good news. A new report by the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife shows that the state's gray wolf population has increased. After the data was crunched, they determined that the wolf population grew by 9.5% in 2020. It's a net increase of 15 wolves, which accounts for seven human-caused wolf deaths. 
The gray wolf population has grown in Oregon each year since 2009, but previously the species was hunted to near extinction. Despite the growth, some advocates remain concerned that it's not substantial enough. In a press release, the Center for Biological Diversity said that the slow and incremental growth in the Oregon gray wolf population has, quote, hit a troubling plateau. This comes after the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service stripped gray wolves of Endangered Species Act protections in a controversial move earlier this year. 2021 has already seen five wolf deaths, though the cause is yet to be released. Nonetheless, conservation groups will continue to fight for greater protections to reach full wolf recovery in an effort to offset the human-caused decimation of the species. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Up next, Kira Lindenberg speaks with Aaron Brown of No More Freeways PDX. They discuss the I-5 expansion project and what kind of city we want Portland to be. No More Freeways PDX is a group fighting against the Oregon Department of Transportation's plan to expand the I-5. Here to talk to us about their efforts is Aaron Brown. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Can folks hear me? Yeah, well, well, I can hear you, and that's what matters. That's absolutely what matters. Hi, <laughs> uh, thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, so, what are the details of this proposed expansion? Let's start there. What, what, what? How do they want to expand the I five? Sure. So, ODOT is proposing an eight hundred million dollar freeway expansion through the Rose Quarter, which uh, is in the backyard of Harriet Tubman Middle School. So, this is the stretch of I five uh, north of the Moda Center and south of the Fremont Bridge in inner North Portland. Um, and ODOT has been caught by community advocates lying about the details of this proposal repeatedly over the last four years, including most recently we found proof that they were planning on taking some of the Harriet Tubman Middle School property for this expansion and had not made that public. Um, oh, wow. Also had, um, ODOT had claimed that they were only making this wide enough for an auxiliary lane is what they call these freeway expansions. Um, in each direction, but we found that the width of the actual proposed freeway would be wide enough to have five lanes of traffic in each direction. Whoa, holy freeway. cow, that is, that's quite the upgrade. What's an auxiliary lane? You know, um, ODOT has gotten really good with PR and good <laughs> with trying to just uh, come up with these Orwellian terms. And so as opposed to being a freeway widening, it's, oh, we're not adding more lanes. It's just an ex- additional auxiliary lane in between exits. Well, what we say is that an auxiliary lane still creates auxiliary air pollution and auxiliary carbon, so it's still an auxiliary bad idea. Right. <laughs> wow, you, I appreciate the, the language that you use here. Um, so that's, that's uh, huh, so, so five lanes of traffic in each direction, that's a really big deal. Um, and, and having to use the property of a, of a school is a really big deal as well. Um, how long has this expansion been in the works? So, ODOT has wanted to expand this stretch of freeway uh, for almost a decade at this point. And, you know, we, in, in homage to Angela Davis, we talk about ODOT as a freeway industrial complex, right? There is this bipartisan coalition of lobbyists and contractors and building trade folks that all are excited to just get these giant pork projects, right? Like, this is an $800 million piece of infrastructure that wow. we're proposing here. Yeah. And, um, Money for this prac- this proposal was first uh, really dropped down. There had been a bunch of talk about this project about a decade ago, starting in 2012. But in 2017, the state legislature passed the 
the House Bill 2017, which was funding for a bunch of transportation projects around the state. And they are uh, put money towards this project. So we've been organizing uh, in earnest against it since August of 2017. Um, and we've just been continuing to raise attention to all of the ways that this project would harm our community and what the opportunity costs are of instead investing through our scarce transportation dollars in line with our air pollution, with our racial justice, and with our climate action goals. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's good to remember that Portland does have those goals. Um, I, I want to first focus on the effect of this free, proposed freeway expansion that would affect everyone in the entire community, and that's the environmental impact. Um, what are we looking at here if, if we go through with this five-lane freeway expansion? Sure. So right now, uh, I don't know how, you know, um, I've had a lot of climate anxiety in the, just the last two weeks as just there hasn't been any rain in April. I mean, I grew up here in Portland. I know what it's like to, you know, be wearing raincoats to school all the way yes. through June. Yes. Um, <laughs> and 40% warm. of 40% of Oregon's carbon emissions come from transportation. It's the only sector of Oregon's economy where emissions are growing and that we don't really have a meaningful plan for it. Um, if we want to reduce our carbon emissions from transportation, which we do, <laughs> We need to be building dense, walkable communities connected by frequent and reliable transportation. So the Green New Deal for public is, for transportation is public transit. We want the buses running every five minutes. We want more sidewalks. We want more crosswalks. We need to be retrofitting some of our busier suburban roads and making them more biking pad friendly and, and transit friendly. Um, if we want that Green New Deal, though, we have to fund it. And to fund it, we have to retire the gray old deal. And ODOT spending hundreds of millions of dollars on the Rose Quarter Freeway expansion, as well as what some of their other proposals are all around the region, um, that is the opposite. It's continuing to expand fossil fuel infrastructure. And I will just say, too, that I'm sure many people listening to this interview right now are in their cars. They're stuck in, stuck in traffic. Traffic sucks. I hear you. Yes. <laughs> there isn't a single freeway expansion anywhere in North America that has ever solved traffic congestion. Not a single one. So if someone is sitting in their car right now being like, listen to this hippie complaining about <laughs> more lanes of cars, we need, we need more, we need more freeways. Well, if you were to spend $800 million of your, of tax dollars to give you that extra lane wherever you're stuck in traffic right now, let's imagine another lane of cars also stuck, also emitting, also grumpy that things aren't moving. So there are decades of academic literature that suggests that what ODOT is proposing will not actually have the intended benefits of making in, in, making traffic any better. Um, we just know that this is not something that freeways do. And, yeah, and ODOT is still moving forward with this because there's $800 million of government contracts on the line. And there's a coalition of people that are eager to get those government that government money for pork projects. That is a really interesting point that you bring up. Um, first of all, I love that you've brought data into it um, because I think far too often we make decisions. Can you imagine making an $800 million decision to expand a freeway that's also going to, you know, in in some ways ruin a community um, and not having any data to back up the fact that it's going to help alleviate traffic? I mean, if that's not what previous freeway expansions have done, then why are we trying it? Um, and you also bring up an interesting point, which is that money is finite. Um, if we want to expand our our communities to, as you were saying, have more walkable sidewalks and walkways and, and bikeable areas, uh, that money has to come from somewhere. And 
to, to dump it into a freeway expansion that's not necessarily going to help the community in any measurable way uh, seems like a real waste. Yeah, and I would say to this as well that, you know, when you think about what are the most dangerous streets in the Portland metro region, both in the city of Portland and in the region, they're all owned by ODOT, and ODOT doesn't get around to fixing them. The money that should be spent on fixing up, say, TV Highway in Washington County or 82nd Avenue here in East Portland, right? Mm -hmm. Each of those streets have, I mean, TV Highway is 40% of all of Washington County's traffic fatalities. Just this one road. There's been a handful of fatalities just in the last six months, right? ODA doesn't have a single dollar to fix up that sort of stuff, right? Huh. There hasn't been a single fatality in this stretch of the Rose Quarter Freeway in over a decade, right? Like, this is not actually, they're, they're trying to safety watch it because there's a handful of, of uh, fender benders that happen on this stretch of people stopping and going. That's a very different thing than investing to make sure that people don't lose their loved ones, their grandparents that are trying to cross, you know, a five-lane road that doesn't have crosswalks in, like, Southeast McLaughlin, right, Southwest right. Barber Boulevard, right? ODOT is misplacing their, their, they are misplacing their funds not in line with the public priorities of reducing traffic fatalities, which is the, the systemic, you know, the systemic disaster that is happening all in our low-income communities of color where people that, you know, can't afford to drive or can't drive for a variety of reasons are forced to put their life in their hands just trying to go to the grocery store. Yeah, right. That that make, that brings up a really important point, which is um, this money could be going towards public transit, which not only is good for our environment, but you're right. There are people who can't drive or, or, or either can't afford a car or don't have a driver's license. And, and we owe it to everybody in our community to have uh, reliable transportation. Um, and also that should that, you know, isn't that the kind of city that we want to be a city that runs on public transportation and bicycles and, and uh, you know, continues to uh value both equity when it comes to uh, everyone having access to transportation and being the cleanest city we can possibly be. I mean, isn't, isn't that why we all live here is because we can breathe. Um, so I want to ask you then, if if this is not, in your opinion, if this freeway expansion project is not in the people of Portland's best interest, then who is interested in making sure this expansion goes through? Like who... Where do these interests lie? Who's pushing for this expansion project? Uh, that's a great question, and it's it's really tricky. I mean, this is you know, I'm a transportation advocate that's worked in these spaces over the last decade, and it's not easy to immediately identify sort of like, well, this is the person voting for it or voting opposed to, to it, right? Like, the Oregon Department of Transportation is overseen by this entity called the Oregon Transportation Commission, which, like, forgive yourself if you've never heard of it. Yeah, I've it's never heard of it. It's kind of opaque and difficult to track down. These are five people appointed by the government, by the governor, um, and they kind of like it that way. They, there is a very opaque, you know, difficulty of tracking who is making what decisions on these projects, right? Um, well, who stands you know, to benefit? Our work, or, sorry? Who, who stands to benefit from this freeway expansion? Well, if you own an asphalt business, sure. <laughs> if you are... Um, you know, if you were the freight lobby, the freight lobby in particular is really excited about freeway projects. Um, if you are in the sprawl lobby, like, you know, Vancouver commuters who are disproportionately much wealthier and whiter are going to be able to have, you know, uh, this extended red carpet from exurban Vancouver, exurban sprawl all the way through Portland. Right. And the demographics yeah. of who's driving on that freeway are very different than who's going to be breathing the air next to it. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and can you tell us, we only have a few more minutes, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, the area that the, if, if the I-5 expansion goes forward, the area that would be, we would be building into? Yeah. And, and just, you know, we, you briefly asked the question of like, well, what kind of city do we want to live in? Right. And, and, you know, here's another question of what kind of city we want to live in. Right. Like this land, it's been stolen twice. Right. Right. And, and, the neighborhood of Albina used to be the largest black neighborhood in the state of Oregon. And it was systemically destroyed by urban renewal. And one of the largest, if not the largest perpetrator of that was the Oregon Department of Transportation, not just I-5, which bulldozed hundreds of homes, but also what is now North Interstate Drive along the river and the on-ramps to Kirby, Kirby on-ramps to the 405 bridge, right? So there was this massive plundering taking of land from black Portland and Decades later, you know, ODOT is claiming that they're doing restorative justice because they're promising to hire some black contractors to build this freeway. Mm, I would say restorative justice would be restoring that land and making sure that the black community is able to build the housing and the parks and the transportation that they need instead. And so, um, and there's huge air pollution concerns and equity issues here as well, right? Like 60% of Tubman students are non-white and they already have some of the worst air pollution in the state of Oregon. Like, Portland State University researchers in 2018 put out a report saying, you know, you probably shouldn't have your kids have outdoor recess there because this freeway is literally in the backyard of Tubman. Like, you can hear it from some of the classrooms. Mm -hmm. You can smell it in in the playground in the area back there. Um, It's shocking to walk around and just see how close this freeway was. And the freeway was built after this school, right? Right. um, Can't forget that. Yeah. So, uh, and I know where time is running short, I'll just say so. We've been tracking this for a couple of years, and just two weeks ago, we officially filed a lawsuit with Neighbors for Clean Air um, and the Elliott Neighborhood Association, where the freeway is located. Um, and we are actively challenging ODOT in federal court on their NEPA violations of not meaningfully tracking, you know, and, and justifying this proposal because we've caught them manipulating the traffic data. So um, you know, we've been writing letters to Secretary Pete Buttigieg because he's now in charge of the Federal Transportation Department. Right, right. Um, and we are ultimately demanding that ODOT start over with a full environmental impact statement that studies alternatives to freeway expansion because yeah. climate leaders do not widen freeways. That's amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's amazing. Thank you for fighting the good fight. Um, Aaron Brown from No More Freeways PDX. Just real quickly, if people want to get involved in No More Freeways, how do they do that? Sure. Uh, we're on Twitter at No More Freeways and uh, www.nomorefreewayspdx.com is our website. Uh, we've got a lot of big news coming in the next couple of weeks. So please sign up and uh, hope to see you in the streets. Excellent. Thank you so much, Aaron. Incredibly important information. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'm honored to be here this morning. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks to Aaron for joining the local. And thank you for listening to the local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.